and welcome back to The Right Turn, your one-stop shop for all things fiction writing. Today, we are continuing our parts of speech workshop, continuing from the first one with nouns to the previous episode on verbs and now tackling adjectives. I enjoy talking about adjectives because I think they can be used to great and unexpected effects when given a little time and effort. Adjectives are any words used to describe a noun. They bring more clarity or description to a person, place, thing, or idea. Note that adjectives do not describe verbs or other adjectives. That's a job for a completely different class of words called adverbs. And we'll discuss those in the next episode for our last parts of speech episode, which will be about adverbs. We use adjectives all the time, often in ways we don't even think of. We can have a fruit salad at a barbecue, in which case the word fruit is an adjective. It describes the type of salad. We can have a wool sweater where we are describing what kind of material went into the making of the fabric. Adjectives then are an essential part of speech, despite what you may have heard from various writing advices floating around. Yes, stacking a bunch of adjectives together may be difficult for the reader to comprehend, and we'll get to that later, but the idea that a writer should avoid adjectives unless absolutely necessary is, in my opinion, absurd. Like every aspect of writing, it's important to know what adjectives are and what effects they produce in your writing so that you can use them to elicit the effects you're looking for in your story and in your readers. Let's look at a practical example of adjectives being able to clarify meaning. If I'm sitting in class and I ask my classmate to hand me a pencil that I dropped on the floor and he leans over and sees two of them, he does not know which one to give me. However, if I ask him for the blue mechanical pencil, he has a much better idea of what I'm asking him to do. Similarly, if I'm writing and I form a sentence with something like, the girl walked into the house, that tells the reader a little bit, but not much. If I instead say, the odd girl walked into the spacious house, suddenly my reader has a little bit more to work with. Adjectives work best when they change a reader's expectations of where they think the sentence will go. For example, the phrase, a cold smile, tells me much more than the phrase, a happy smile. I don't need the adjective happy in the second example because happy is already included in smile. Explicitly stating that either makes the reader wonder if I'm hiding something from them or if I've wasted their time with unnecessary words. Cold smile, on the other hand, tells the reader something entirely new. Cold smile changes the meaning of the word smile so that the reader forms an entirely new picture in their head. A cold smile is cunning, calculated, and sometimes frightening. Everything that a smile should not be. When you're in your editing phase and you're wondering when to add or take away adjectives in your sentences, ask yourself this simple question. Does the adjective add meaning to the phrase or is the adjective doing a job it does not need to do? I'll read you two scenes. I'm actually going to flip the order here so the first will contain only adjectives that are necessary and help the meaning of the sentences. That way you'll be able to get the information of the scene without thinking too much about it and being pulled out of the scene because of bad writing. In fact, I challenge you to note where the adjectives are and when you don't even notice them because they're woven so seamlessly into your imagination. Then I'll read you a scene where the adjectives are in all the wrong places, doing all the wrong things, and you can ask yourself which you would rather read. So here goes the first scene, which is uh, useful adjectives. 
Paul hadn't come home. Ian could see it in the crispness of the sheets, the crumpled shirt he'd left on the floor with a promise to run a load of laundry when he returned from work. The morning's coffee mug sat untouched on the counter, the brown rim of liquid beneath it so old it stuck to the granite. Ian pulled his phone from his jeans and scrolled through the contacts, clicking on Paul's name. No message, and Ian went so far as pulling up Paul's number before tucking the phone away again. No use walking down that road when he knew already where it would dead end. Instead, Ian locked the door behind him and turned out the lights. Okay, that's the first scene. How did it feel? Did you notice when I was describing things to you or did you kind of settle into the rhythm of learning about Ian and his predicament with Paul? So now I'll read you the second scene where there are too many adjectives and they're in all the wrong places and see if you feel a difference when you listen to the scene. Can you imagine it better or is it harder because you keep stumbling over these words? So scene two. His Paul hadn't come home. Ian could see it in the taut, crisp corners of the sheets, the crumpled shirt he'd left on the carpeted floor with a promise to run a load of laundry when he returned from work, an IT specialist. The morning's coffee mug sat untouched on the black counter, the brown rim of liquid beneath it so old it stuck to the marbled granite. Ian pulled his phone from his worn jeans and scrolled through the contacts, clicking on Paul's name. No message, and Ian went so far as pulling up Paul's stupid number before tucking the phone away again. No use walking down that long road when he knew already where it would dead end. Instead, Ian locked the front door behind him and turned out the overhead lights. Okay, how did those sound? Did you notice how overwhelming the second paragraph got to be towards the end? Or perhaps it was underwhelming. Did the emotional impact of what Ian was going through, returning home after a long day to find his partner not at home, get lost in all the information coming at you? How about the sentence that had like three different colors in it? This is what most writers mean when they say not to use adjectives. They don't mean don't use any at all. They tend to mean focus your efforts on the ones that help you convey the emotions you want to convey and don't add unnecessary or trite information. Now, as with every rule, exceptions exist. Normally, we wouldn't want to add a bunch of adjectives in a row because it can actually become harder to form a mental picture the more adjectives you cram into one sentence about one noun. The short blue broken mechanical pencil is kind of difficult to see, and it's hard to imagine all of those things together. However, done with intention, all of those adjectives at once can have a comedic effect. So if that's what you're going for, you can use adjectives to your advantage. Take the popular Halloween song, the one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. When sung, there's a strangely endearing lilt to all of those adjectives stacked on top of each other. This is something that little kids tend to do, especially when reciting descriptions of items they might want or commercials they've seen. So perhaps this is why smashing adjectives together gives us this endearing quality. It reminds us that something children do. Now, let's continue on to where to place adjectives in the sentence. As I said before, there are no hard and fast rules to writing. What is important is understanding how your placement of the adjective changes the weight of your sentence. For example, if you want your adjectives to fade into the background, you can place them directly next to your noun. The sentence, her open eyes stared as she lay on the couch, doesn't really put emphasis on one thing. It gives you information that may or may not be relevant. 
However, if I restructure the sentence to give more weight to my adjective, it might look something like this. She lay on the couch, her eyes open and staring. Now the emphasis is on the state of the eyes because that's where I have ended the sentence. You can use this to great effect in your writing, especially if you have something that can become a reveal or a twist. Is there a special necklace your character is wearing or a tattoo that marks them as someone of interest? Consider moving your description to the end of your sentence to make it stand out more. Now, what I don't recommend is to place adjectives after any to be verbs. Remember that those are your am, are, is, was, were. I'm sure this has been done on occasion, and I'm sure I've done it myself a couple times. Sometimes there's just no way out of it. But when you can, consider attempting to restructure your sentence to make it more interesting. Doing so will help you inadvertently reveal more about character as well. Now, I'm going to read another two sets of examples, but they're very short. One will put all of the adjectives after to be verbs, and I want you to know at what point the sentences become repetitive and boring. The second will feature no to-be verbs, but all of the same adjectives. And I want you to ask yourself which helps you visualize the scene better. More importantly, which is more fun to read? So here goes the first scene. The house was a mess. The table was upside down, the bookshelves tossed with it. Books lay in haphazard heaps on the ground. Their pages were bent and crumpled. The rug was curled in on itself, and a person-shaped outline was set in the middle of the wall. Only five sentences, but do you hear how repetitive they became? Too many books that I've read fall into this trap. It's like as soon as writers hit description, the need for good writing goes out the window. Don't fall into this trap. Make your descriptions just as, if not more beautiful as the rest of your writing. And I guarantee the readers won't be able to turn away for a second. Here's the way that description I just read you would sound if it landed in one of my books. The house had been mauled. The table had landed upside down alongside the bookshelves. The books scattered in haphazard heaps on the ground. Bent and crumpled pages littered the curled rug. On the far wall, a person-sized outline had been carved into the plaster, quite painfully by the looks of it. How did that feel? If you notice, I actually added more adjectives the second time. But because they were woven into good, strong verbs, they didn't detract from the cadence of the sentences. This is how you can give really vivid descriptions without detracting from the quality of your writing. Try this exercise yourself. Take a description you find lacking or write a quick sketch of something or someone. Then see if you can rework each sentence to get rid of any and all passive verbs. This may involve moving the subject and object of your sentences so that the end becomes the beginning and vice versa. And that's okay. Have fun with it. See what you get at the end and if you liked the reworked version better than the original. As we talk about the placement of nouns, we should spend some time too on adjective phrases and the idea that describing a noun can come in other ways, such as prepositional phrases. First, let's talk adjective phrases. Adjectives don't have to consist of only single words piled on top of each other. Describing comes in many more forms than that. Consider smiles, right? We just talked about them. They're not technically adjectives, but many of them fall into the category of adjective phrases. Consider the sentence, the breeze, gentle as a caress, shivered through the leaves. Where's the adjective? In this case, only gentle is an adjective. 
But the sentence is so much more vibrant comparing the wind to a soft gesture between lovers. Therefore, the whole simile is needed to properly describe the noun. Or consider the sentence, he smiled, all white teeth and dimples. Here, only white is the adjective. But don't the picture of dimples bring something additional to the description? It's a noun, so it doesn't even count as being part of an adjective phrase, technically. And yet, it's still modifying the word smile, so it's doing the job of an adjective. The point is to experiment, and don't be shy about putting words together even if you think they might not belong together. Weird metaphors and flowery language can be toned down later, but it's hard to spice things back up if prose is dull. And odds are, the more you experiment with different words and how they interact, the more you will find combinations that are truly new and refreshing and that you really like in your writing. Prepositional phrases, too, help give more information about a noun. For example, if I have the sentence, the dog lounged on the forbidden couch, then the only adjective is technically forbidden. However, the dog lounged is less descriptive than the dog lounged on the couch. The preposition on told me something about my noun, dog. Prepositions are any words which tell you where a noun is in relation to something else. Words such as inside, behind, beside, far away from, and all the way can be used as prepositions. Consider a letter inside an envelope, a child behind its mother, the plunger pushed all the way down. While these are not adjectives, prepositions can do quite a lot for giving your reader clarity about a scene. Don't shy away from using them in all the fun and beautiful ways you can think of for your own work. And you can try this for yourself. Write a list of 10 phrases in which you use something from this episode. It could be stacked adjectives. It could be adjectives accompanied by strong verbs. It could be adjective or prepositional phrases. Once you have your 10, write a scene where you use at least five of those phrases. How does the scene sound? Odds are five is too many for a short piece of writing, but I'll bet you find one or two that really stand out to you. And good. Remember that you can always trim away what you don't like and keep what you do. The last thing I'll talk about today is adjectives we don't necessarily think about because they're so common in our usage. Did you know that the words a, an, and the are all adjectives? They tell us something about the noun they modify. Do I want an apple, which means any apple from a group? Or do I want the apple, which implies a specific one that I have already chosen? It may sound like a simple thing, perhaps one that you might dismiss because it doesn't apply to your writing, but I urge you to tread with caution. If you use the word the in a scene to describe something the reader hasn't been introduced to, they might be thrown off. If I have a character reach for the journal without any clarifying information, my reader might wonder when a journal got there and why they haven't heard of it before now. Likewise, if I have a character grab a key to the car, they might wonder why there is more than one. I had this very thing happen to me in the first novel I wrote. A character who is an elite agent for a private security company keeps a handcuff key in a special pocket in her leggings. My friend, who was reading the story so he could review it for me, questioned this choice of wording. He asked why she has a handcuff key instead of the handcuff key. And how could she possibly know what key she needs? Don't all pairs of handcuffs have a different key? I had to explain to him that no, actually, handcuff keys are universal. 
You can literally buy one off Amazon and they will work for any pair of handcuffs, which I say for informational writing purposes only. So in that case, the word a is actually correct. It would have been incorrect for me to say she had the handcuff key because there is no the in a universal object like that. Numbers too are technically adjectives. If I have three apples, that's different than having 30 apples. A few is also different than many. You'll want to keep track of these things because the more specific your adjectives, the more likely your reader will take note and remember it. If I have a character grab a few mints, for example, the reader might gloss over that. If I have her grab four mints, however, then my reader is much more likely to remember that and wonder if it's specific. Why four? You can use this greatly to your advantage. If you're writing a story where you want to keep your characters guessing and wondering which clues are important, then give them a few irrelevant clues with very specific adjectives. Use precise language so that your readers think they will have to recall that information later. Mystery and thriller writers do this all the time, especially with red herring clues. Readers have a hard time telling them apart from relevant information because writers have done such a good job of making the red herring just as specific and therefore just as important in the reader's mind as the real clues. On the same note, I can intentionally make a reader dismiss something by using less specific adjectives. Sometimes writers might want to do this for very practical reasons. Imagine naming every single character that your protagonist passes by on the street or every single student in a classroom. That is way too many names for your reader to keep track of, especially because it's very likely that only a handful of them are actually relevant to your story. There's nothing wrong with using generics such as other students or the classroom to describe group actions the reader does not need to focus on at that moment in time. Sometimes, however, writers do that on purpose to make the readers miss crucial, crucial information so they don't figure out the big twist too early. It's a very fine line because you don't want to hide information from your reader. Nothing makes readers more angry than realizing that it was literally impossible for them to figure out the puzzle because the writer simply didn't tell them anything. But you also want to minimize information so it's likely that your reader glosses over it. A great way to do that is with generic adjectives. Perhaps your character picks up a handful of something that might come in handy later. Perhaps they pull a few books off the shelf, one of which later turns out to be very important. This way, you're not lying to your reader and you're not hiding anything from them. You're simply helping the reader gloss over information so that they can have an aha moment later. And as we know, all readers love that moment where all the pieces click together and they finally get it. Okay, I hope this episode has been useful to you and thank you for listening. Please feel free to go back, pause, or replay any part you want to hear again. If you really liked the episode, leave a review or share it with someone you think would be interested in adjectives and all the different ways they can be used in writing. If you're interested in telling us a story about your own writing experience, sharing your work with us, or you just want to say hi, you can send an email to writeturn at gmail.com. That's W-R-I-T-3-T-U-R-N at gmail.com. If you'd like to engage with the community in other ways, you're welcome to subscribe to the newsletter at jordanmgriffin.com, which will tell you when new episodes come out. In addition, I have an Instagram, which will also let you know when I upload videos. Link will be in the episode description. I know the upload schedule. <laughs> I'm, 
I think it's just going to be a little sporadic for the time being. So um, I definitely encourage you to either get on the newsletter or uh, follow me on Instagram if you want to know exactly when those episodes come out. As always, I wish you all the best in your own writing. I hope you have a great day. And if it's not a good one, I hope that the next one is better. See you next time. Thank you.